we watched that movie and it was just really encouraging that these people loved each other so much and really wanted to do something together to change the world. And, we, and Luth said, well, we really love Jesus and we really want to be committed to him. And, and we talked about the fact that Jesus said that I no longer call you servants, I call you friends if you do what I say, which is to love one another. And so we thought, oh, I wonder if we could use this movie title to help people who are young in Sydney, who've, who are familiar with the movie, understand what we're trying to do with Soul Revival if they want to be regular that there's a lot of joy in commitment. It's not just this, you know, oh, I've got to go to Solis or I've got to go to church or whatever, but it's more about I really want to be committed to Jesus and I want to be committed to each other. Welcome back to the Shock Absorber podcast. This is episode four and uh, we're pretty excited about how everything is going and some great feedback in regards to what we're talking about. But it is only episode four and we are still playing around with how we do things. And uh, we, on the first episode, we talked about the Breakfast Club, Stu. We thought that maybe we might bring that back and start talking about some different books and bits of pop culture and stuff like that. Breakfast Club was for you. Uh, <laughs> What about you? Have you got a book or a movie that you like? Well, I'm, I'm glad you asked, <laughs> Stu. Um, but the thing that I was thinking about was that the book that I've read the most in my entire lifetime is the biography of N. Senna, who's the three-time Formula One champion from Brazil. Yeah, right. And he he passed away uh, in a in an actual race at in Imola in Italy yep. on uh, the San Marino Grand Prix on the 1st of May, 1994. And I, I, I don't know, I can't always point why i like senna so much but yeah. um, some people might have seen the documentary that they did on him too but he was just um i think it was the intensity of him like he would just he, he was literally the fastest guy i'd ever seen like because yeah. i was into motor racing from when i was very very young yeah yeah and i even remember on the day um he passed away or the the monday after it would have been a sunday night when he passed away and my mum telling me it actually happened i still tried to convince her when i was what six eight years old that motor racing wasn't dangerous really i was really like i was so taken aback by it that yeah. he'd been he'd pass away but there was a, there's a real interesting part from when in 1988 in the monaco grand prix where he was world champion and he in qualifying he literally was faster than everyone else including his teammate who was in the, the they had the fastest car in the mclaren yeah he was almost one and a half seconds faster than his teammate which in yeah. that in those days is or in in formula one is crazy yeah yeah what do you what do you put his success down to like why was he faster i don't know i think his um possibly his like obviously it comes down to talent to a certain degree but absolutely his absolute commitment to winning i think yeah. was just incredible and i think that's what something that really impressed me about him yeah. but it also took him uh to the other side of the spectrum where he was uh way too aggressive right. and actually um caused a few issues and actually changed how racing was done so right. it was considered also a, a bit of a gentleman's sport for part of that time especially in the 60s and 70s because if you did take someone off, they would most likely die. Yeah, Whereas right. he became very aggressive in terms of blocking and overtaking. So what take home for you is that? Like, what, how does that influence you at all? Or is it just that you're interested in him? I think it's just his um, his commitment was just incredible. And I don't think anyone had really seen it 
at the time either. And so, so he, the the book that you read sort of described his life, yeah. Yeah, that's right. It was a biography, but it was only written. It was written before he actually passed away. Mm. So I actually prefer that version by a guy called Christopher Hilton than the full version. Mm. For some reason, I don't know. I think I really struggled to read the part when I knew he was going to pass away in the mm. in the biography. But mm, it's it's, still, it's a really good biography. So yeah, mm. I think it tracks all the way from when he was born in Sao Paulo and moved to England. Mm didn't have any money and like was really struggling and almost he ended up getting a divorce moved, almost moved back to brazil and then right. he and then he was able to become world champion in a yeah. few years time wow anyway um apologies to anyone who doesn't like uh, motor racing <laughs> but i do sorry let's recap what we did last week so we talked about the jesus movement and the homogeneous unit principle and how both of those things triggered a huge cultural upheaval in the 60s and what came out of that and there was things like being relevant bringing more music at the time back into church services but it also led to the church services um, maybe increasing the generation gap that begun during the 60s and continued on through the 80s and 90s but as you said last week you guys at Soul Revival backed up by your political studies Stu they, you cottoned onto the the value that the Jesus movement placed on communes and communities that yep. sprung up around that yeah yep. and you described it as a corporate response to the transience individualism and consumerism you were seeing filter into the church. So you decided to stick around. What what were you kind of thinking after that point? Yeah, so uh, as you said, Joel, like I had a great opportunity just to look into some history of youth ministry and looked at the 60s as a big seismic change within Western culture as the generation gap emerged in the 1960s and the existing church expressions really struggled to adapt to a really quickly changing world Mm -hmm. and that the jesus movement act as a kind of cultural shock absorber for those existing uh expressions because uh the jesus people basically experimented with new forms of church included rock and roll and playing jesus rock to to speak to their generation and they also at the same time the second thing that they experimented with was working out how they could uh, share their lives together as a generation in their case and so i i felt like the two themes of um their ability to communicate the ancient message and the ancient values of the gospel to a new generation was really interesting and then their attempt to live that out with strong relational expressions of their own and their their approach was the commune and when i was reading all this sort of stuff i I was actually throwing these ideas around with my wife lou and uh it was a commune something you wanted to do i said i said to her like you know talking about jesus rock and larry norman and all these different bands but then um when i started she was fine with listening to all that but then when i started saying oh how interesting are these communes and i remember louise going nah that's not interesting so she she was um (laughs) really good at sort of like helping me to think through yeah it's sort of not super practical and long term for most of us to to live in that kind of context but i at the same time as my study i was actually interviewing some jesus movement people from the 70s and i i think i mentioned that in the in the last podcast buzz, buzz keto was yeah, one of fuzz keto fuzz yeah, keto sorry. yeah fuzz yeah and fuzz was saying that he found that that intense you know living together in the same house their, their version of a commune in sydney at the same at that time was just a couple of mates all sharing a house together and trying to use that space for the gospel as well really so but um i think i think that he his big impression was that it wasn't super sustainable and uh and obviously with communes there was different people from that era took them off into all sorts of wacky directions too so we didn't want to have any of those wacky directions but what we did 
um, think was really helpful from the Jesus movement was encouraging us to evangelize our generation and to speak the gospel clearly into our generation and also to share our lives together and express the uh, new relationships we have because of Jesus. So I think we talked about that in Ephesians 1, it says that, um, Paul says that, that Jesus reconciled us to God when he died on the cross and rose from the dead and he also reconciled us to one another so even though we were enemies with god we're now children of god and as children of god we're also now brothers and sisters no matter what our background so whether we were jew or greek or slave or free we're all one in christ so i suppose jesus has built the community we can enjoy it's up to us in each of our generations to work out how do we express that reality that god's given us so yeah so i think the next question for us was how are we going to express community and preach the gospel and really it's the other way around how do we preach the gospel and express community and that was our challenge i suppose in the early 90s to not necessarily copy the jesus movement in either of those things but to actually think about how we could do it in our generation and and as i said previously both mark center as a youth ministry writer and alan terrain who was a political writer writing about new social movements both those authors gave us confidence that we could we could experiment and have some fun thinking about some new ways of expressing our christian faith in the local suburb that we lived in and you were so you were and you were bringing these new kind of ideas to sorrow revival or the people that are involved in sorrow revival were they keen to kind of think about hanging around and be in a stable environment yeah well that's how we started to express it It was pretty simple really we just chose a a night of the week to hang out and read the bible together and and just be together that's how we was that usually like on a weekend yeah we did so on a saturday night we uh the youth leaders that started soul revival together the four of us kent kylie me and louise we decided that we'd just uh, hang out together as friends on Saturday night and then we'd run the youth group on Friday night and oh, then right. as the kids were growing up and they hit 16, 17, the normal approach in our church before then was that they'd join a new ministry, the Young Adults Ministry, but instead of doing that, we thought, why don't we invite them if they want to to hang out with us as well? So we did a lot of hanging out on Saturday night. We hung around a lot and um, we'd just, um, like I said, we'd open the Bible and we'd have a read and we'd have a pray. We'd talk about that as well but we'd also have food together so we'd we we ate a lot of spaghetti bolognese on a <laughs> right. saturday night that we cooked cook. ourselves yep at the time on saturday night but we'd also go grab pizza or go out to dinner or whatever some nights we'd um have you know we'd meet in a backyard at someone's house and we had you know first place we met was in andrew patch's garage mm. and in the backyard sometimes we'd have live music right and um, we'd have bands come and play and just hang out and so in that way i suppose that was similar to a Jesus Movement coffee house because they'd have people stand up and play music and then hang out together in that and drink coffee and stuff. But um, we even found the architecture of where, where we were meeting was important to that hanging out value, if you like, or the theme of sharing our mm. lives together. As um, food would have been too, yeah, right? Yeah, well, food was, yeah. But just the fact that we're in a space where there were lounges, where they sort of invited right. people to hang out for longer, but the food invited you to hang around as well. And um, we also decided to ditch the idea of a youth program and we just we just wanted to be a bit more spontaneous in the early days we ended up having a program later on because a lot of people joined but especially when there was only a few of us we just hung out with each other and we also got rid of the idea of a finishing time because as we were growing up youth group had a start time and a finish time we thought well friends don't really say well we'll meet from 7 30 to 9 30 you know we'll just hang out as long as we want to so that's how we used to do that 
uh, in the early days as well. And we also changed the name of Soul Revival from being a youth group to being a youth community because we were trying to get across that we were exploring um, preaching the gospel, hearing the good news about Jesus, repenting and putting our faith in Jesus and becoming Christians by hearing the gospel and repenting of our sin and turning to Christ and then to to actually take Jesus seriously when he said he's come to give us life and life to the full. So to grow as disciples of Christ. So really it was a pretty simple format. We were evangelizing and we were discipling. So that's what we're doing on a Saturday night. Is that, it sounds like a relatively simple approach, but because obviously throughout the 80s and the 90s, it was kind of like, oh, we're going to keep having to divide church up to serve all these kind of intergenerational gaps. Yeah. Was it seen as a rather simplistic approach by yeah, some did, people? It did come across as more organic and more simple because it was getting more and more difficult to have culturally relevant ministry formats for a, a growingly pluralistic culture. So by pluralistic, I mean more and more expressions of culture in our, in our context. So I think we talked about last week that, or we've talked about anyway that um, youth culture was becoming very fragmented and there was different tribes within youth culture. So mm-hmm. to have a different group that would reach each of those different tribes was getting more difficult. And also, you know, having three different generations in the church that were trying to run Christian ministries to was also quite complicated. So having a traditional service for the oldies and having a family service for the families and then a youth service for the evening service like the homogeneous unit principle is set up just was getting really resource heavy and really difficult and it started feeling for us like it was just running a whole series of events that people chose to go to whereas this was simple it was like let's just open turn the Bible, up have a read just turn up yeah. and hang out and have a meal together and whoever wants to come can come and the people that were coming do you think they were responding to that like they were they were enjoying just being able to hang out yeah it was it was delighting people actually because it was just different because instead of marketing this group to a particular demographic, we were more of an intergenerational expression, even though we were just young adults and inviting teenagers to have appropriate friendships with us. We were their leaders first and then our friends, their friends second. But then over time, we also started asking other people of different age groups to come along. And in our context in the, in the Sutherland Shire in Sydney in Australia, there wasn't a lot of experience where young people got to hang out with people who were different to themselves because I suppose our whole culture had become so targeted and so marketed that people were just consuming lifestyles. If they were a surfer, they hung out with surfers and they surfed with people and sometimes even went to church with people who liked the things they liked as well. So Soul Revival was interesting because you had all this eclectic group of people because we were basically saying that as Christians, that if you want to be a member of the group, if you're a Christian, you're welcome. All Christians are welcome. And then as Christians, we're reaching out to anybody who wanted to come along. So non-Christian people came to hear the message and, and have a feed with us and have a talk about what they thought. And we're actually seeing a lot of people at that time becoming Christians too. So there's a lot of new Christians coming along asking really That's exciting cool. questions. So that was a lot of fun. Did they start to turn into be like regular people coming along? Yeah, well, one of the problems with the format is... Uh, initially we would have you know I think you know we grew from about four or five people a week up until about 20 people a week and we'd have 20 people a week coming along but in any one week there wouldn't be the same people came because of course we all had busy lifestyles so one of the things we were struggling with is we did have this great space that we had all these great ingredients uh, as a part of it but we weren't seeing a, a real consistency amongst 
the, I suppose, the community element of it because people would come along. I think because we're all used to going to events, we, we most most people still saw that we were putting on an event. So, like an opt-in, opt-out yeah, kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, which was good. We liked the opt-in, opt-out part because we didn't want there to be any compulsion or people feeling like they had to go. But the actual uh, consistency of relationship was something we wanted to work out. How do we still have opt-in, opt-out, but also have a consistency of relationship at the yeah. same time? Yep. And this cool book had just come out by a guy called Oldenburg, and it was called The Third Place. Okay. Um, and it was a really helpful book for me because one of the things he talks about in that book is that it's really good to celebrate regulars and irregulars. So he said that any community... Uh, we'll have people who come regularly and people who don't come regularly. So then we started thinking, well, how can we build elements into our community for people who want to be regular and build elements into the community for people who want to be irregular? Did that work? Yeah. Like, were you, were you able to welcome in people? Like, what were those things that you actually were able to, like, found would help irregular and irregular people? Yeah, well, Oldenburg so, says one of the good things to realise in a city or and in a suburb, like in a city like Sydney, is that, um, once upon a time, oh, well, now people in cities live differently to the way we used to live before there was cities and industrialisation and, and all the way we live today. So when people lived in, in, in villages, and going back to 1800, like 70% of the population lived in villages. And when people lived in a village, they were born, they grew old and they died in the same place. They also lived and worked and played in the same place in a village. And people today who live in villages still live in that kind of context. But Oldenburg's quite clever. As a sociologist, he looks at how people in cities actually live in their first place, which is where they live, and that's a different place to where they work. So they often travel to a different place for work, and that work he called a second place. And then he said the interesting thing was that the third place people live in or where they want to play, have party, uh, have community, um, just be with other people, sometimes that third place is another place again. So in the city... People have three places where they live, the home, work and where they play. And that's very different to when we were in villages or where people do live in villages where the home, the work and the, and the place they play is all in the same place. So I started thinking, well, um, the people who come along to our group all live in different places. And, and again, you know, obviously we weren't going to try and start up a commune. And so we didn't start up a commune, but the... Um, because that's where, I suppose in the 70s, the commune was a place where people used to to, to live in, and hang out in the same place. But we thought, let's, we're all living in different places, so that's our first place. A second place is we all work in different places, and that's our second place. You know, some people went to school because they hadn't gone, got to work yet or, you know, still at uni. But then people in the third place, we thought... Uh, I looked around, and there were other Christians talking about this sort of theory, but the way they were applying it was saying... Let's make a third place for people to hang out in, like a community, but make it a stepping stone into the church. So if people in the world are you know, having their downtime in third places, like soccer clubs or pubs or cafes or whatever it might be, some Christians had applied this idea to create more of a, uh, a, a, sp- a third place that sits in between the church and people's experiences in the secular context. So some Christians have created third places. almost like places. a fourth place. Well, kind of. Yeah. But they, yeah, the third place was sort of not like observably Christian. It was more of yep. a kind of a stepping stone into the more observably Christian space, if you get what I mean. So Which is maybe where the event kind of thing comes from. Yeah, possibly. But also some churches played around with, oh, well, let's put on a cafe or 
you know, let's um, meet in a pub or okay. things like that. But what we'd have thought we'd do, which I think is slightly different, and I'd be really interested if people have any questions or thoughts on this, is we thought, what if church itself became the third place? So as well as having the service where we meet um, together more formally and have uh, a sermon and we sing and we pray and we read and we have an opportunity for whatever liturgy um, in a service that, that is uh, from the tradition that the, the church is in. Let's, let's have that formal time and have an observably Christian community that meets as well. That is actually open to outsiders who can come along and be irregular at it. So the idea was, let's create a community that is centred around the Word of God and observably Christian. Let's give Christian people the opportunity to be regular or irregular to it if they want. And let's give non-Christian people the opportunity to come along and be regular and listen to the message and if they choose to become christians after they've heard the gospel then they too can as christians join in with this expression with us as well so we were quite excited about the fact that the community could be observably christian and based on the bible well and did and i feel like that would have maybe stood out in terms of secular society mm. i know that you've mentioned a couple of other things that kind of influence yourself on that there was a couple of other authors and what was in terrain did you say yeah, that alan terrain? Terrain. what did yeah. and what did he did he add anything to what you were thinking well, alan terrain was the one who got me thinking about the jesus movement in the first place okay. because he was talking about new social movements that young people were developing in the 60s as they explored new ideas so for example the civil rights movement had a lot of young people in the civil rights movement in america the anti-war movement definitely had a lot of young people in it and they would gather together around that idea now as they uh questioned a certain value they wanted to come up with a new uh new vision i suppose of how we could approach that issue and obviously in the anti-war movement in the end of the 60s it was let's stop the vietnam war and let's start actually living in peace that was their big plan um but we, we got to thinking that, yeah, what can we as young people do to live out um, the expression of our faith? And um, the shock absorber theory talks about the fact that young people sometimes living at the coalface of cultural change come up with new ideas. So we, uh, we actually literally were part of, partly like a shock absorber for our local church because actually uh, Lou and I had an opportunity when we got married to go over to England on a short holiday and we were driving across the Salisbury Plain of all places in this little rented Ford car. Where's that, sorry? Salisbury Plain is where um, Stonehenge is. In oh, the, yep. You know, it's just really a really long straight road and yeah, we're in this little, little four-cylinder car and these big Mercedes <laughs> were driving fast past us and stuff. But anyway, Lou and I were driving to London and we were talking about this idea that a lot of people who come to Soul Revival don't come super regularly. So we did have a lot of irregulars, but we just didn't have any regulars. And I wonder if there was a way we could find to give people who wanted to be regular an opportunity to do that. And Lou came up with the idea of um, a movie that we just watched recently called The Commitments, which was a movie that came out in the 90s. Yep. And The Commitments was about, um, it, it probably dawned on her because it, was about, it wasn't about a group of uh, British young people. It was a group of young people living in Ireland. And they were living in Dublin and they started a blues band, uh, Souls, Soul and Blues Band in Dublin. And they were really, really committed to their music and they were really, really committed to each other. And we watched that movie and it was just really encouraging that these people loved each other so much and really wanted to do something together to change the world. And, we, and Luth said, well, we really love Jesus and we really want to be committed to him. And 
and we talked about the fact that Jesus said that I no longer call you servants, I call you friends if you do what I say, which is to love one another. And so we thought, oh, I wonder if we could use this movie title to help people who are young in Sydney who are familiar with the movie understand what we're trying to do with Soul Revival if they want to be regular, that there's a lot of joy in commitment. It's not just this, you know, oh, I've got to go to Solis or I've got to go to church or whatever, but it's more about I really want to be committed to Jesus and I want to be committed to each other. So some we decided purpose, to, there's some to, purpose around it. Yeah, we decided to start this ministry group within the Soul Revival community called The Commitments. I, I do remember there was a time when I first came to youth group and seeing The Commitments, but the thing that I noticed was the, I wasn't really sure what it was to begin with, but yeah. then I realized like, oh, all of them are here every single time. Is that, yeah. that, that was what yeah. you were aiming for? Yeah, well, what we, were, what we were looking at was how can we give young people an opportunity to help set the culture with us at Soul Revival on a Saturday night? How can we give young people an opportunity to discover their spiritual gifts without the responsibility of leadership That's in the cool. beginning? How can they actually participate and use their spiritual gifts to serve um, and build up, um, up each other? And uh, we thought, well, we've got a leadership team and maybe if the leaders meet before the group starts for an hour to pray and have a read and encourage each other and just talk about what we're doing in the group. And we ask any young people who would like to join this um, team called The Commitments to just join in with us and hang out with us and have a pray and a read before the group starts. And in a way, it created a space for the shock absorber to happen because we had a, a weekly space where young people could sit and talk about their culture they could talk about how the world was changing for them, what it meant to be a Christian in their world. And we had an opportunity to share what, what wisdom we had and what insight we had from the Word of God. And together we were able to act as that spiritual shock absorber regularly each week where we'd um, look at what is going on in the world, why is it happening, what does the Bible say and how should we live. And so you so, can kind of avoid those cycles of youth ministry because you know, you're a bit more kind of closer to the coalface, as you said before. Yeah, well, it was actually speeding up the cycles of youth ministry to okay. a weekly thing where it was really fun as well and we got to share our, our lives together. And, and that was so uh, fun that we actually started thinking that you know, we, we want to be careful that we are disciples of Jesus every day of our life, not just at the event we go to. So we didn't want to compartmentalise our lives. And at the time, someone made the point that uh, we live in an area where there's a lot of surfers and uh, one of the surfing companies, Rip Curl, had some saying, something like, only a surfer knows the feeling or the search or something or, or something about it's a lifestyle. And anyway, one of the young surfers said, why don't we have a commitments card which says... It's more than a Saturday night. It's a lifestyle. And we thought, oh, that was fun. So little things like that came out of the commitments meetings where we were, we were just sitting around. So we weren't living in the commune like the Jesus people did. We were living in a first place that was different to each other. We were working in different second places. But our third place was a place where people were really now investing in the third place and really actually taking it on and, and, and experimenting with it and making it a creative space. But it was important that if people joined the commitments, they could opt into it or opt out of it. And we wanted them to do that with freedom. But if people did opt into being committed to the space, Oldenburg says that uh, third place communities do have those people who come every week who are regular, who help set the culture, who create a place of conversation and create a culture there. So that, that was taking place in our, in our youth community. And you saw some benefits from that in terms of like people coming to know Jesus more? 
Yeah, well, the, the funny thing at the time was there was this sense that if you spend, that, that maybe because a lot of young people weren't going to church, maybe the answer to that was that we needed to spend less time in the church and more time out in the world where people were. So I remember my friends at the time saying, why do you hang out on Saturday night all the time with each other? And that's not very missional. What you should do is go to the pubs every Saturday night and go and see people who don't go to church. But interestingly, what we found is the more we hung out with each other, and not only did we hang out for commitments and then Saturday night soul revival, we also went to church with each other to the to the Guymer Anglican Youth Service. And then a lot of us were actually meeting for Bible study, and some of us were even meeting for um, uh, youth leader meetings as well. And at, and But rather than us becoming this sort of... Um, segregated group away from the rest of the society we actually were more integrated because it was almost like we felt like the action was in the church because jesus was there and the more we hung out with each other the more we got excited about it and i think because we were so excited our evangelism had this um delightedness in it i think that we were sharing the story of jesus and really keen for people to think about jesus and at the school ministry that we've already talked about it at scripture and at the chip lunch so many people were becoming Christians and heaps of these young people didn't have Christian families. So they really appreciated a community where they had really solid discipleship relationships because they didn't have a Christian mum and dad. To yeah. Well, I was certainly them. one of those people myself. Yeah, did you find that? Because you became a Christian from school age. Yeah, so I, yeah, I became a Christian in, I think, in year 10, but Noni really made a, a solid commitment in year 12. But mm. that was one of the reasons that I was going to Soul Revival was because I felt welcomed and in a place where I belonged. And yeah. then... And I'm like, well, why are these people like this? And so, well, really, the answer came back to me eventually was all because of Jesus. Yeah. So, like, by living, by you guys living that out, my leaders living that out, and being committed and being there every week, like, it it helped me to do that. Yeah. And of course, then when you hear the message that is so important to you, making that step of faith to actually accept that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, that when you see, I think, when you when you see that you understand that Jesus has paid for your sin and that you can be free and you can you can um, repent. Uh, it's just a really exciting thing. There was a lot of excitement at the time back in the 90s. I mean, I think, I think I've said in a previous podcast that after we started the commitments, we really started to grow quickly and, and the message that we were sharing through the Jesus Beads, the gospel message, was something that was even the teenagers were able to share with their friends so lots of young people were leading their friends to christ as well as the leaders at chip lunch or the talks on a saturday night was where people became christians too and um but yeah young people themselves were leading their friends to christ as well at that time so we grew by about the the growth that we grew in was about 80 percent people who became christians after they heard the gospel and so um, because we were a Bible-based community, we were reading the Bible together every week. So people were able to be discipled in after they made a commitment to Christ in that group as well. So we grew from about, um, yeah, about, like we've said, about four or five people to over 500 people in seven years. Goodness. That's which a was really exciting time. <laughs> yep, that's really cool. Did like you, you called it the commitments and I sometimes feel like these days uh, commitments can be seen as a dirty word or it's something hard to do. Did that start to, was that something that kind of got on the nerves of other people? Like you were asking them, or not asking them, but you were saying, look, this is what we think works well for the gospel. It is more commitment. Was that a hard thing for people to hear? Yeah, I think it was because for, for those of you who are a bit older like myself, you'll 
may remember a TV show from the 90s called Friends. Yes. And even if you're younger, you might have heard about it. But the idea of this show called Friends is that there was this group of, I don't know, how many, Joel, four or five of them in this TV show. And they were really good know. friends with each other. And, and they were, the, the funny thing about the show was that they're obviously a collection of funny characters that were all friends with each other. But I didn't watch it heaps. But the shows that I watch seem to have this thing that we are a group of friends and no one can join this group. And we, we need each other because the world is such a dangerous and difficult place that we couldn't possibly be in a relationship with too many people and we really need to have this group of four or five friends and we're not going to let anyone else really crack into this group. And that was part of what I thought the premise of the show was. Maybe it was different, but that's what I sort of saw. And I thought that was interesting because when it came to Soul Revival commitments, we actually talked about being friends for the gospel. And we talked about the fact that Jesus said, I no longer call you servants, I call you my friends and yes we were part of a family at Guymering Lincoln Church and we were brothers and sisters at Guymering Lincoln Church we're also as the New Testament describes again in Ephesians we're also a spiritual house being built up uh, together on the cornerstone of Christ and Mm. we you know we were like a living body as again Ephesians talks about Paul talks about there but interestingly Jesus does say uh, I call you my friends if you do what I say which is love one another so we were really excited about um about being friends for the gospel and some people thought we were saying we're going to be this exclusive group like the tv show i think but what we were really trying to do was deconstruct that idea of friendship and rather than having an exclusive friendship we were trying to create an open friendship group now the next problem is if if you are someone who finds relating to a lot of people difficult it was it was a challenge for some people because this friendship group got really big so on a saturday night we started with four people and then before we knew it, in two or three t- years' time, we had 150 people coming every week. So I suppose the conversation was that, look, it became obvious to us that the commitments was a good idea, but every good thing has shadows. And uh, I had a lecturer back at the same time in the 90s, um, Bruce Smith, who taught when I started going to SNBC Bible College. It's a Bible college in Sydney. And he gave... I, I talked to him about this, you know, this idea that how do we do something and also you know do things well and bruce said to us as a cohort in in our year at college he said you know every good thing has shadows and creatures live in the shadows so even if you do a good thing you should be looking out for what are the things about that good thing that aren't so good so i suppose one of the shadows of the commitments was some people felt like um oh well i i because I, i'm used to the friends tv show kind of friendship i'm finding this idea of being friends with more people a hard thing to get my head around. A bit confronting. Yeah, it was a bit confronting. Yeah. I think also people weren't used to hearing the word commitment in the 90s. It was more, if they were consuming culture, then they weren't used to the idea of service. And if they were a bit more individualistic, they weren't used to a bit more of a corporate expression sometimes too. Right. And I think if they were used to being transient and just moving around looking for something that was, well, which is the rip curl thing, isn't it? The search, the search for a perfect wave, the search for a perfect church. We were sort of trying to turn that upside down and say, let's really dig in with each other and together be connected to other Christians. And, and we still sent people out. Uh, the Commitments was a place where a lot of people wanted to make a friendship group that was a really solid, stable, long-term thing in their life. But even with that, over a 20-year period, we, we've seen about 25 people go out into full-time ministry, for example. 
out of that group. So it was doing both at the same time. But I think the shadow of the commitments is sometimes people found it a bit hard to understand what it was, like you said, from yourself. And I don't know if that resonates with you. Yeah, I think at, at first it maybe felt... I mean, like I was very, very new going to... coming. It was like year nine or year 10 and I'm like, I'm not really sure what's going on, but like it's cool because some of my friends are here and these people are nice to me. So yeah, that's yeah. why I was staying. And then I, I can't remember if it was yourself or Tim Baldwin who was there was talking about the commitments and... I think initially, my initial thoughts was it sounds like a bit of exclusive group, which is yep. something that you're probably touching on. But yeah. um, I think what I learned later on, and as I said, was that, no, no, this is um, these people are here because they really care and they really care about Jesus and want other people to know. Yeah. So it's probably understandable why it maybe quite created some controversy because it's not like a lot of good ideas create a fair bit of controversy. But maybe we can touch on that next week because mm. that sounds like something we need to delve into a little bit more. I think that's right because, I mean, some of the things people worried about were oh, would I really like to have a few close friends and yeah we used to say yeah have a few close friends but also be open to having other friends too don't feel like you can only have a few close friends so yeah. we, we just tried to really challenge this idea of a church being a place where people were a, a bit clicky we wanted to open it up so that people could be embraced and and embraced even if they're different from themselves and I think that'll be interesting to talk about when we talk about next week some more of the shadows of soul revival and some things that we learnt because um, we did learn a lot of things we learnt a lot of good things but we also made mistakes too and it'd be good to talk about those next week yeah absolutely well uh, we might wrap it up there but uh, if you do have any questions we'd love to hear them so please send them in and we can answer them on the podcast whether it's via email to Stu which is Stu at soulrevivalchurch.com or he's at Stu Crawshaw on Instagram and Twitter and I'm also on Twitter and my handle is at Joel McMaster. Also, get me on Instagram too with that one. But for today, thank you very much, Stu. Thank we'll you, Joel. We'll see, see you next week. See you next week.